0: Shalom Aleichem. Today we're going to make some headway in the Gemara. So we're going to start off reading the Gemara together. I'm going to break up the Gemara into two different parts, like we did on the source sheet. And then uh, we're going to address each different sugya, each different section, as a discussion in of its own right. So let's see the Gemara. It's uh, four lines from the bottom. The Gemara questions, V'ha'osik v'mitzvah patr mitzvah mitzvah mi we really derive the source that a person who is currently involved in a mitzvah is exempt from the second one from the nafka. we derive it from a different source, it's a different D'atanya It was taught in a Braisa, there were people that were defiled, that were impure due to contamination of being in contact with a dead body and to see a corpse. There, the Pasik is a Pasuk in the Midbar, Perak Tes, Pasuk Vav. It's discussing the exemption of people from the mitzvah of Korban Pesach. The halacha is that if the majority of Klai is in a state of purity when they're offering the Korban Pesach, so anyone who is defiled is ineligible to bring it. And therefore, this was the first group of people who are not able to bring the Korban Pesach, there was one Korban Pesach that was brought when Klai Yisrael was in the Midbar, they were in the, de- the desert, traveling from Egypt to Eretz Yisrael. That one Korban Pesach, there was a group of people who were exempt because they were Tamei Meis. They were became defiled from a corpse. And they came to Moshe Benu asking that they want the ability to bring it anyways, and that's where the concept of Pesach Sheni came from. But here we're well, before that stage, we're right at the point where they just expressed that they were ineligible to bring the Korban Pesach. So now comes along the Gemara and wants to discuss how did it happen that we have a group of people who actually became unable to bring this Korban. So explains the Gemara, Who were those people that weren't eligible to bring the Korban Pesach? So the Gemara presents now three different opinions. The first opinion is Rav Yosef So the, the Gemara says, They were the people who were carrying the coffin of Yosef, Yosef died in Egypt and he requested that they bring his body to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. So there was a group of people who were set aside to carry his coffin, to carry his body to Eretz Yisrael. And Rabbi Yosef clearly claims that the people who were exempt from Korban Pesach were actually the people who were carrying his body. Comes along, that's the first opinion of the Gemara. Rabbi Kiva says a different explanation. Mishayel ve'yotsafen hayu they were Mishael and Altsafan, Shayu Asukim and They were the people who were responsible for burying Nodavavihu. Nodavahavihu were the sons of Aaron HaKoin who went into the Mishkan, the tabernacle, while in the desert, and they offered up an incense offering, Torah, when they weren't obligated to. And then, because of that, they were killed. So, following their death, they had to have someone take the, the bodies out of the tabernacle and bury them. So the Gemara, Rabbi Akiva, is proposing that this is Meshavah safan who took the responsibility to bury them afterwards. And that's why they were a Tameh and therefore exempt from the korban Pesach. So now, that's the second opinion. Rabbi Yitzhak says, If they were the people who were carrying the coffin of Yosef, they were able to become pure beforehand. If they were Michel Veltzafan, that were the ones who were defiled, they were able to become pure beforehand. And therefore, because of this claim of and Hayu the that goes ahead and says that's the explanation why Rabbi Yitzchok is of the opinion that Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Kibar are incorrect. Rather, so what's his opinion? Rather, they were what? They were involved in a mace mitzvah, meaning to say, we don't know who died, but there was a person who passed away, and since there's a person, if a person passes away and no one is there and there's no family or relatives to bury them, so then it becomes the responsibility of the totality of Qal Yisrael. So there were people who found a mace mitzvah, someone with no one to bury them, and these people who did the mitzvah, performed the mitzvah of burying this dead person, that's who claimed that they wanted to bring the Qur'an Pesach, even though they were ineligible due to Dumas Meis. So, they were, The seventh day of the purification process ended up being on Pesach, Erev Pesach, I'm sorry. We're going to discuss what that means soon. Like it says, Like it says, they weren't able to do perform the mitzvah of Korban Pesach on that day. Why does the Torah say on that day? It could have just said they weren't able to perform the Pesach. It was coming to teach us that specifically on that day they weren't able to do it. But the next day, they were able to go ahead and do it. And if that's true, then that the following day they were able to go and bring the Korban Pesach, that means that they had to be in the state of purity the next day. We'll discuss momentarily that the purification process from being defiled from a corpse to being pure is a seven-day process. And inasmuch as that's true, it has to be that they were on their last day of that purification process, yet still unable to bring the Korban Pesach. So now we're here. There's something called tumas Tumas Tumasmes means a person who became defiled from coming in contact with a dead body. Now, in order to purify oneself after contact with a dead body, three days after that for initial contamination, a person has to be sprinkled from something called mechatas. Mechatas is a very interesting concept in uh, our religion. Um, what it is, is we took a paraduma duma, red heifer, and there's a long, complicated process of how we do this, but we end up burning this body of the red heifer after we shecht it and we combine the ashes with water that was drawn from a spring and that water of the spring water combined with the ashes of the paraduma combined together called mechatas. Now we sprinkle water, this water, this mechatas on the person after contamination. starting from the third day after contact. Now, if more than three days passed, that's also okay. But for, starting from the third day, we sprinkle this mechatasonyo. Now, four days later, on the seventh day, they we repeat that sprinkling. Afterwards, they go to the mikvah, and comes nightfall, that's when the purity takes place. So here, the Gemara is proposing that these people were, according to Rabbi Yitzchak, these people were people who buried a dead, a deceased person, that the purification process ended up being the last day was on the 14th of Nisan, when they should be offering the Korban Pesach, and they weren't able to do so. That's the Gemara. Now just in regards to the initial read of the Gemara, I want to put out two questions right away. Um, it seems that the reason why they're unable to bring the Korban Pesach, these people, is because there's a technicality here. In order to bring the Korban Pesach, you have to be pure. So these people were not pure, therefore, that is what's exempting them and disabling them from being able to offer the Korban Pesach. Now if that's true, that's a very understandable. But what's that have to do with the concept and the principle of o, seek, be mitzvah, pat, min, a mitzvah let's not forget the Gemara is trying to bring an alternate source that if a person right now is involved in the performance of a Mitzvah that exempts them from a second Mitzvah. So that being said the basis of the exemption in our Gemara isn't because you're currently involved in a Mitzvah the basis of the exemption is because you're impure and your impurity is making you unable to do so. So how could the Gemara ever propose that the basis this this source of Korban Pesach is the basis for the all the entire principle of Oseh B'Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah when the nature of the exemption has nothing to do with your performance of mitzvahs. This question is uh, a train wreck. It's awful. How could you, how could the Gemara propose such a thing? This is a very difficult question. The second question I want to propose is that. When it comes to Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, is the, reason he, the way he disproves Rabbi Yosef Aglili and Rabbi Akiva is he says that in both circumstances, both when it came to the people who carried the coffin of Yosef and when it came to the Michelle vel who buried Nadav Avihu, they both had the ability to become pure beforehand. Now, granted, let's assume that's true. We'll soon see Rashi who explains why we know that's true. But assuming that's true, and so what? They didn't become pure beforehand. And since they didn't become pure beforehand, that doesn't allow them to bring the Koran Pesach, and therefore they're still defiled. So who cares if they had the potential to become pure in the past, if they didn't actualize that potential and they're still impure, therefore they still can't bring the Koran Pesach. So why is that a reason to negate the stance of Rabbi Yosiyag Lili and Rabbi Kiva? That's, those are two questions upon the initial read of the Gemara which need explanation. So now let's see Rashi's. Rashi says, We're deriving it from that first Pasuk that we already sourced. Rather, we learned it from a different Pasuk. Rashi says, That the Pasuk is referring to the quorum Pesach that was brought in the desert which is the second year following the Exodus of Egypt. Now, comes along Rashi. First Rashi just quotes our text of the Gemara. He was coming to say that there was a different text which he thought was not true. He quotes our text. And now he says like this. If we're discussing one of these two proposed explanations, who... The Tmei Meis were, whether it was the people who carried Yosef's coffin or Mishael al they could have become purified, explains Rashi. Sheharei <speaking> be'echad bin mishkan <Hebrew> On the first day of Nisan, the tabernacle was erected. V'shaini <speaking in Hebrew> and on the second day of Nisan, Sarif Elazar as ha the son of Aharon kohen burnt the Para Duma. In order to sprinkle upon the people who were contaminated from a corpse, in order so that they could bring up the Korban Pesach in purity. Like we learned already in Mesecha's Kitten, There were eight different halachos that were taught on the day that the tabernacle was erected. But Paraduma One of them was the case, the Paraduma. The first day of Nisan, the Mishkan was erected. the And that was the eighth day of the Meluim. Before the completion of the Mishkan, there was the different days of the Meluim. The Meluim were that the different heads of the different tribes brought presents to be part of the consecration of the tabernacle. So there was the 8th day of the Meluyim. Like we see in the Gemara and Shabbos. There were, on that day there were 10 different crowns that were taken. But also, which is pertinent to us, And on that day Nadavavihu died. Meaning to say that they died on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the 1st of Nisan. Now if that's true, if that's true, Hilchach Mirush Chidish from the first of Nissan and Ada Pesach until Pesach. Pesach is the fourteenth of Nissan. Hayu yachul in the tahir. They were able to become pure. Vekro Amar v'lo yachlu. And the Torah says v'lo yachlu. What does Rashi mean? The Torah says v'lo yachlu. The Gamara quoted a pasuk v'lo yachlu lasso sapesach bayom hahul. So why is how does Rashi understand this question? Rashi understands the question. Right? The second question we asked on the Gemara is that what was Rabbi Yosef's question? Rabbi Yitzchak, I'm sorry, what was Rabbi Yitzchak's question? Who cares if they're able to become pure if practically they didn't? So, in regards to their exemption, you're right. We don't care if they became pure or not. But, in regards to the veracity of the Chumash, in regards to whether or not the Chumash is precise in its language or not, according to Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Yitzchak is claiming that the Chumash would become not precise. Why? Because the Chumash, when it's referring to these people, says, They weren't able to bring the Pesach on that day. And since it says they weren't able, inasmuch as they had the potential to do so, comes along Rav Yitzchak and says that the Torah, the Chumash, is not precise according to the understanding. If you say, like me, Rav Yitzchak, that the people who were defiled to a mace, were people who buried May Mitzvah, then the Chumash is being precise. But if we're discussing people who could have become pure beforehand, then it wouldn't warrant the language of lo Yahu. They weren't able to. It would have a different language. And it continues Rashi, And also the people who carried the coffin of Yosef, It was more than 10 months since the last time they carried the coffin. Because they didn't carry his coffin since they encamped at Har Chorev. Har Chorev was Har Sinai, the different term for Har, Har Sinai. And there they arrived in Rosh Chodesh Sivan. That was more than 10 months earlier. Like it says, on this day, this day being Rosh Chodesh, they came to the Midbar Sinai. And they didn't leave until the 20th of ER, over a year later. Like it says, and it was on the se- in the second year, in the second month, on the 20th of the month, the cloud of glory rose, and that's how they knew it was time to travel. And they left Har Hashem, meaning to say they were there for over a year. So they attend 10 months, the more so that the Chumash can say, V'lo'yachl. Now the next Rashi, to Meis Mitzvah, this is where Rabbi Yitzchak is establishing who actually were these people. Rashi says, Lav Meis Mitzvah Davka Even though Rabbi Yitzchak says, we're discussing a Meis Mitzvah, comes along Rashi and says, don't think he was precise in his language. He didn't mean specifically a Meis Mitzvah. Da'afilu Meisayen Nami meis mitzvah But even Meisayen, even if it was one of their relatives... That also suffices. It's also able to utilize the language of Mes mitzvah. Why the mitzvah Why? Because it's a mitzvah to bury them, like all the different relatives which are mentioned in Parsha's, uh, Parshas Emor. Now, this is a little astonishing because when it comes to you know the simple reading of the Gemara, Mes mitzvah has a very specific. Context: A mes mitzvah pretty much always means that it's a person who has no one to bury him, and therefore is a special mitzvah to go ahead and bury him. For example, even if a person is on his way to perform a bris milah, or perform Korban Pesach, which if you don't perform them on the proper day, it's a mitzvah essay, it's a positive mitzvah, if you don't perform your chaiv karis, your chaiv excommunication, nonetheless, for the sake of a mes mitzvah, we defile ourselves, and don't perform the milah, we don't perform the Korban Pesach. Whereas if it was just uh, a normal relative, we would push off the burial for a day. It wasn't. Uh, it wouldn't tell us not to perform those mitzvahs. So usually the context of Mitzvah is something very specific. It comes along Rashi and says it's not true. mitzvah really means any mace. So the question that's big to be asked is why did Rashi do that? How did he know? So we're going to put this on the side. So far, we have two questions which you didn't address. Number one was the osik mitzvah patamina mitzvah. How are we sourcing it from here? If the reason you can't bring it is, the fact, you're def- tameh, you're defiled. And secondly, how did Rashi know to make the terminology of mei mitzvah of the Gemara non-specific? Comes along Rashi and continues. The seventh day fell out. Even though by nightfall they were able to bring the korban Pesach. Lo Ishtu, nonetheless, we don't have to bring them to Kasavar because the Gemara is of the opinion, shokhtin Tmei Sheretz. right? You can't shecht and throw the blood of the Korban Pesach onto the altar on somebody who's Tmei Sheretz. Now, what's a Tmei Sheretz? A Tmei Sheretz is someone who came in contact with a dead a creepy crawler. The creepy crawler can be anything from a snake to a turtle to a lizard, anything which crawls on the ground. And it's dead. A person, if he touches them, becomes defiled. The process of purity is they have to go to the mikvah, and that night comes nightfall, then they're able to become pure. So now comes along Rashi, and Rashi says the Shvi, the seventh day of Atme Mes, was still going to prevent the offering of the Korban Pesach, because the tantamount to Atme Sherat. Which is a very interesting we're going to have to try to understand that also it continues rashi nonetheless we derive from here the as a person who is Osik he's involved in a mitzvah exempt from other mitzvahs how do we see that and shiva Pesach. they became defiled and contaminated through these through dealing with these dead people burying them seven days before Pesach. And even though this defilement is going to prevent the eating of the Pesach, Alma, we can derive from here, a small mitzvah, a smaller mitzvah that comes to hand, you don't have to push it aside for a bigger mitzvah, which is coming in the future. Now, what happened here? What does that even mean? Yeah, this is very hard to understand. What, what, how, what, did he, what did he add, Rashi? There's an explanation? There's no explanation. He just says that we see that they were able to bury the Mace Mitzvah. So they could buried this person. It must be. And even though it's going to prevent them from the Korban Pesach, so an Patamina Mitzvah. But the, the Mitzvah for the Korban Pesach isn't right now. The Mitzvah for the Korban Pesach is in seven days. So how do I see that I can perform a Mitzvah now and push off another Mitzvah? one mitzvah I'm obligated in right now and the other mitzvah not so based off of this I want to try to answer up both of our questions so as follows we saw before we discussed before the Minchas Chinuch the Minchas Chinuch was of the opinion that if a person had the ability to buy a lulav and esrog before Sukkot we had the ability to buy a shofar before Rosh Hashanah and he didn't do so so now comes along Sulkas comes along with Hashanah and he can't he can't perform the mitzvah why not because he, he doesn't have a lulav he doesn't have he doesn't have a, a shofar so it's not his fault he just doesn't have one so we could have said potentially that he's an onus an onus an exemption for a person when he can't perform a mitzvah against his will it's out of his control but here came along the minchas Khinach, and he said no if you had the ability to Attain a lulav, you had the ability to attain a shofar and you didn't do so, that's tantamount to having a shofar in Rosh Hashanah and saying, I don't want to blow it. There's no difference. Why? Because making sure that you're able to fulfill the mitzvah is a subcategory. It's an offshoot. It's part and parcel of the mitzvah itself. So even though the Torah only obligated you to pick up a lulav and esrog on the 15th of Tishrei, inasmuch as you have to have one in order to fulfill the mitzvah, the Torah also is commanding you, yeah, and make sure that you have Eludah and Esrug as well, you have to buy one. It's understood that the means for fulfilling the mitzvah have to be brought into fruition before the time of the mitzvah comes about. So once that's true, I want to propose as follows, that inasmuch as as a person has to be in a state of purity in order to offer the Korban Pesach. That means that the mitzvah of Korban Pesach obligates them to be in a state of purity already seven days beforehand. Korban Pesach, the mitzvah of Korban Pesach doesn't start on the 14th of Nisan, it starts on the 7th of Nisan. And there, starting from the 7th, we say, you know what, Rabid you have to make sure you're pure. Whatever you have to do, whether that means that you have to go and get sprinkled with mechatas, whether that means you have to be extra careful where you walk, you have to make sure that you're able to bring the Korban Pesach. And the mitzvah of Korban Pesach is what's telling you that. So if that's true, now there's a real tension. Right now I'm obligated to make sure that I'm fulfilling the mitzvah of Korban Pesach. And what is that? To stay pure, be pure, become, become pure. But at the same time, there's a separate mitzvah. The separate mitzvah is that there's someone here who needs to be buried. So if I'm involved in that burial, and I go ahead and defile myself, therefore, that's a wonderful source for Osikim Mitzvah, Patamina Mitzvah. I'm willing to push aside, I'm able to push aside the mitzvah of Korban Pesach, which starts seven days before. Ensure your purity so you can bring the offering. That mitzvah we're pushing aside in order for you to bury a meis mitzvah? That's a source for osik v'mitzvah patamina mitzvah. Once that's true, that's how Rashi knew that the language of meis mitzvah was not being precise. Because the whole premise here isn't having to do with the fact that there's a special type of burial. The fact that's important is that it's a mitzvah to bury them. And that's why Rashi stresses, why is it called a meis mitzvah? Because it's a mitzvah to bury them. And once it's a mitzvah to bury them, that type of mitzvah, even if it's not a special, unique form of burial, it's a normal burial. But since it's a mitzvah, you're fulfilling a mitzvah by doing so, that suffices to push aside the mitzvah of Korban Pesach. And that's the explanation of this Gemara. Now the Gemara continues. At this point, we're stuck, right? We have one source, Beshiv Tevrei to teach us, now we found a wonderful source that even though you're obligated to make sure that you're pure for the time of Yudala Nisan, we nonetheless, people were able to defile themselves in order to bury someone who passed away. So at this point, the Gemara is going to grapple with the fact that we have two different sources. The Gemara says, really, we need both of these sources. Because if it would only tell us the source of Korban Pesach, why would I think that there we would have a principle of Because in their circumstances, the time period of bringing the Korban Pesach didn't come yet. And if the time period for not offering the Korban Pesach didn't come yet, so obviously I could do the mitzvah of burial beforehand. But I wouldn't know aval hacha but in regards to here, in regards to Kriishma, the Matasman Krishma, that even though you're in the middle of your wedding and you're involved mentally with the mitzvah Purvo, there's a real obligation, a bona fide obligation of Krishna that's also here. Aim alone, maybe I would think that the precedent of Osikva Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah doesn't apply. Sricha, therefore I need that second pasuk of Bishtiha Vesekha. The So therefore, what am I going to say? Only have the pasuk of reshiftechave secha, and there I will learn out to everywhere else. So maybe that would be true. But says the gemara, no. I would have thought differently. Why? What's the reason we would imply the implement the principle? I'm sorry, avosig Mitzvah, Patamina mitzvah mishum deleka kares because there the punishment of missing kriyashmas not kares. al haslam in regards to korban pesach the ikakares. There, there's a punishment of not doing the mitzvah of kares. A malo, I would think that we wouldn't apply the principle of mitzvah patamina, mitzvah, in that circumstance, inasmuch as it's such a stringent, such an important mitzvah. Therefore, it wrote the exemption, a separate exemption, to teach us this principle is also implied even in a place where nullifying the mitzvah is now, there's a chi of karis. Now, there's an interesting point here that the Gemara says that the mitzvah of Pesach Is It's time, it's obligation isn't brought, isn't hasn't come yet. Now, you could ask, according according to our explanation, it's not 100% accurate, right? Because we're saying that starting seven days beforehand, the mitzvah of Koron Pesach already starts. The mitzvah of Koron Pesach is to stay pure. So if that's true, that the mitzvah of Koron Pesach already started, how could the Gemara say, to lo matazman that the time didn't come? Our whole explanation of how this can be a source of mitzvah is because the time came. So I'd like to answer this as to say that obviously when it comes to the mitzvah of sacrificing the Korban Pesach, that mitzvah only takes place on the 14th of Nisan. And there were still seven days before that. However, there is an offshoot of that mitzvah. The mitzvah of sacrificing the Korban Inherently mandates, inherently requires of us to make sure we're able to perform it. So even though there are aspects of the mitzvah which take effect prior to the mitzvah itself, when referring to the actual obligation of the mitzvah, that's still qualified as those matas malchyuvah, that's the time, there's proper time, didn't come as of yet. So now that we got this far, <clears throat> let's take it to the next step. Rashi. And Divra Maschel Dalumat is man Chiyuva. Explain, right? That proper time didn't come. It says, Kshenitmu when they became defiled, Adayin Lohigiyu's man Achilas Pesach. So now, why does Rashi stress the fact that Adayin is man Achilas Pesach? Who's focusing on the eating of the Korban Pesach? Up until now, all we're discussing is the offering up of the sacrifice of the Korban Pesach, not the eating which follows it. So what's. so? Important about the eating of the Korban Pesach that Raj, Rashi chooses to focus on this aspect. So, in order to try to address this point, I want to first a Ritva. And through this Ritva, we're going to try to come and re evaluate the stance of Rashi. So, the Ritva, let's see the Ritva together. It says, So now we're discussing those people who tried to bring the Korban Pesach according to the opinion of Rav but they weren't able to do it because they were Tameh the May Mitzvah. And it was the seventh day of the purification process. So, it says since their seventh day fell out on the 14th, air of Pesach, and they were fitting to sprinkle them the second time on the seventh day, and in order to purify for that night. We would think they thought that the fact that they didn't go to the mikveh yet and the fact that they didn't get sprinkled with the paraduma didn't prevent the ability to be part of a group that the korban Pesach was shechted for we saw, I put down on the source sheet the different Rambams that discuss um, the mitzvah of shchitas Pesach and achilas Pesach in order to get an, a korban Pesach done so you have to be part of what's called a Chabur, a group and you have to be appointed to be part of that group um, in order for the shechita of the Koran Pesach to be uh, considered like you brought one on your behalf. Now, that, that being true, we also saw a caveat that in order to be part of the Koran Pesach, you have to be able to eat part of it. So, now that we went ahead and recapped on what the parameters are for in order to be considered like you brought a Koran Pesach, let's continue in the ritva. So, when the, right now we're defining what were these people thinking when they came to Moshe Rabbeinu one wanted to offer the Korban Pesach at night. So the Ritva says, HaYisvurin, they thought, She'ein Tfilah Mat Pesach on Pesach. They thought the fact they didn't go to the Mikveit doesn't prevent their ability to be considered like they were part of a Chaburah, they're part of a group to bring the Korban Pesach. Why not? Pesach Sheretz. Because when it comes to a person who is defiled by a Sheretz, by a creepy crawler, so there... We can check the Korban Pesach and sprinkle its blood on the altar on their behalf. As long as you're not lacking, the only thing you're lacking is going to the mikveh, that, that suffices in order to offer up the Korban Pesach on your behalf. And that's what they were coming to say in Moshe, we're no worse, because tonight we're going to be okay. But Moshe Rabbein responded, no, you can't bring it, why not? The Since you still need to go to the mikveh, we can't shecht for you a Korban Pesach, why not? Because we don't shecht the Korban Pesach on a tme or anything similar. We'll have to define soon what that similarity is. Even though by nightfall, when they're going to come to eat it, they're going to be Tahr, why not? And since there was such a big Chachma that went into the question, that's why the Gemara wanted to know who were the people that happened. It wasn't a question just in regards to historical knowledge, but it was a question they wanted to know who has such a good Kasha. So now like this. The similarity is that when it comes to Atmei Sheretz, before he went to Mikvah, do we know for sure at nighttime he's going to be able to partake in this Korven Pesach? The answer is absolutely not. Why not? Because he still has to do something. As the way things set up now, he's not able to eat. So you're right, potentially he could. But practically speaking, something is lacking in his entire process. (laughs) But if he was going to actually go to the mikvah, he went already, and he's still not pure because he has to wait till nightfall. So even though he's not tahor, that would suffice in order to allow him to be part of a Chaburah for Korban Pesach. So in our circumstance, you know, when it comes to a person who's Tmei in order to be included within a chabura group for Korban Pesach, that means that at the time where they offer the Korban Pesach, they already had to get sprinkled on with the Mechatas, with that combination of the ashes of the Paraduma and spring water, and also have gone to Mikvah. I, right now they're not tahor, right now they're not pure right now. It comes night time, even without them doing anything, they're going to become pure. The entire process is going to finish. And that's a circumstance where they're going to be able to go ahead and partake in the korban Pesach. So now the Ritva continues. V'tema. How come these first people weren't taken partaking in, in uh, the, Korm, the Pesach Rishon, the first Pesach? Yutoi v'neumaz So once that's true, so they should have done that. Go get sprinkled with the Mechatas go to the mikvah. They came into the of Shemish. since the only thing they're lacking is nightfall, then we could actually offer up the Qur'an Pesach on their behalf. Because we hold that if a person already went to the mikvah, we're able to include them within a chabura. Answer so the ritva, you could say, since they relied on their claim, Lobo adher of Shemesh. They didn't come until close to nightfall. And there wasn't enough time to go through that process while the Qur'an Pesach was being offered up. And inasmuch as that's true, you're right that technically we could have been able to do it. But practically speaking, there wasn't enough time to have that happen. Now, what's this all have to do with Rashi? Now, Rashi is great. Because why is Rashi stressing the fact that the time of the Achilles korban Pesach didn't come yet, right? Rashi, again, let's remind ourselves, it says, the time didn't come yet of the Achiev, because when they came defiled, the time didn't come for the Achilles Pesach, whether or not you're included within a Chabura, whether or not we're able to offer the korban Pesach on your behalf is dependent on whether or not you're going to be pure, not at the time of Shechita. Even at the time of Shechita, you're going to be defiled still. That's all right. We can still offer up the korban Pesach on your behalf. Rather, we need it that you become, you're going to be in a state of purity when the time of the eating, the Achilles korban Pesach, takes effect. So that's why Rashi stressed the achilah here as opposed to the Shechita. So now that we saw this part of the Gemara, we're actually going to move on. We're going to try to cover some ground. So Gufa, a new discussion said in the name of Rav a person who's in mourning is obligated in all the mitzvas which are enumerated in the Torah. except for tefillin. Why are they included in Tvillin? In regards to tefillin, the Torah refers to them as Peer, splendor, and when it comes to a person who is in mourning, they're not connected, they're not relevant to mitzvahs, which are expressions of splendor. How do we know this? Since God said to Yechezkel, Pe'ercha chovush alecha. Right? What happened? Yechezkel was in avelis, he was in mourning. And there, there was a specific command from Hashem that said to him, listen Yechezkel, even though your son passed away in your morning, you, I want you to put your tefillin on. Right? And since that's true... That was the unique command to Yechezkel. But if we didn't have that unique command from Hashem for Yechezkel to put Tefillin on, he would have been exempt. So, You, Yechezkel, are the only one who is obligated. But everyone else is exempt. And when does this exemption apply? It only applies on the first day of mourning, right after the burial, the day of burial. From the time of burial until nightfall, you're exempt from putting on tefillin. How do we know? like it says in the Novi vacharisa k'yomar. That the end of it, the end of that process, the burial process, is a yomar. It's particularly bitter. And since it's particularly bitter, that's when you're not relevant to the mitzvah of pe'er, of splendor. But starting from the second day, then we have a, then we, the halacha is that you have to put on your tefillin. Va'amir Rebi Abba Barzavdal. And came along now, Rabbi Abba Bar Zavda, and said another halacha in regards to exemptions from mitzvot. In the name of Ra, Rav, in the name of Rav, an ovel chayev basuka. A, por- a person whose, in mourning is obligated to still sit in a sukkah. Yes, the Gemara Pshita. It's obvious. Mahu detema? Why does Rav Adabar Zavda have to tell me that? Hoil va'amr of Abba Bar Zavda ma'rav Rav mitzayir since we're of the opinion that a person who is bitsar, he's distressed, is exempt from sukkah, hainami mitzairhu, this person who is in mourning is also distressed, he's disturbed, he's upset. And therefore I would think that upsetness, that distr- distress of mourning would also suffice as a tsar, a distress which exempts him from sukkah. kamash malan hanimili tzard meleh, comes along the Gemara and says as a limitation. The only type of tsar which exempts you is a tsar de memela, an automatic tsar. We'll see what that means soon when we see Rashi. But here in the case of a mourning, He's upsetting himself. He really should go ahead and just get his proper mindset and therefore fulfill the mitzvah. So this gemara is a hard gemara to understand. It sounds like when it comes to, you know, a tsar de Bamele, something which is relevant to the sukkah. So there, that's a tsar which exempts you from the midst of a sukkah. But when it comes to a tsar of mourning, so he's, he's causing himself disturbance, obviously a person who's in mourning is much more distressed than a person, you know, who's getting rained on a little bit. So what's the intent here of the gemara? So let's see Rashi. Rashi says, Pshita, it's obvious that when it comes to the an avil, a person in the morning, that he's going to be obligated in sukkah. Ho what's the difference of sukkah, Mishar from all other mitzvahs? Da and Rav, Le'il, that Rav taught us earlier, double chayyab, achalah Rav taught us already that a person in the morning is obligated in all the mitzvahs. So now it comes along Rashi and he says a distinction. that when it comes to that's when you're going to be exempt. What's the says Rashi the sukkah itself is causing him distress. What distress is there? The sun, the cold, Or even the schach has a a bad smell and that's distressing you. So, under those circumstances, there we'll say that sar, distress, causes an exemption. But when it comes to Avelis, Rashi says, He has to go ahead and get his own composure. He has to regain composure. He has an obligation to regain composure in order to fulfill a mitzvah. Now, what happened here? What's this distinction? So, I want to propose as follows that when it comes to the mitzvah of Sukkah, so what's causing him the, the, the stress? What's causing him to be upset, disturbed? The parameters of the mitzvah itself. That when it comes to Sukkah, the Sukkah says it has to be outside. And the Sukkah says you have to be exposed to the elements. And the Sukkah necessitates schach, not a an normal roof. And so, when the parameters of the mitzvah itself are what's causing the disturbance, so then, if a person's not able to function under those conditions, the Torah says you're exempt. We want these are the parameters we want you to do it in. And If you can't, you can, so you're exempt. But when it comes to avelos, it's actually a very interesting concept that's coming out. But the mitzvah of avelos does not necessitate a person being upset and sad over the deceased. In a certain way, the mitzvahs of avelos are meant as a form of showing honor to the deceased. Right now, we're not focusing on our learning. Right now, we're not going to sit on a chair and be comfortable. All I want to do is focus my entire energy of realizing who this person was that I lost and how much I appreciate them. That's the goal of Vevelis. It's not to be sit and be sad. So comes along with the Gemara and says, Ah, you're upset? It's the most natural thing in the world. For sure, you're going to be upset. But that's not the mitzvah at hand. And since the parameters of the mitzvah of Vevelis aren't, aren't the, the reason why you're lacking composure to do other mitzvahs, then it's incumbent upon you to regain your composure to fulfill other mitzvahs. Only when the parameters of the mitzvah themselves are what's causing the disturbance, that's when you're exempt. But when it's not the parameters of the mitzvah, even if it's normal emotion, an understandable emotion, nonetheless, the Torah's mitzvah still apply. Now, what's interesting is that the Gemara doesn't say, the Gemara could have said a very simple thing. The Gemara could have said, there's a difference in regards to the tsar. One is a tsar that the, is the parameters of the mitzvah and one is a tsar that not the parameters of the mitzvah. The Gemara doesn't says more than that though. The Gemara says when it comes to the tsar of the velas, since he's upset not based off the parameters of the mitzvahs of the Torah, he has to regain his composure. Why do we stress he has to regain his composure? Forget the composure. Just say he has to do the mitzvah. So it's see it's very clear from here that to do an action of a mitzvah without proper intent isn't really so worthwhile that's not what we want from people we don't want people just to do a mitzvah to to check it off the list but we want people that when they're performing a mitzvah that they have uh, the proper intent while doing so that they're mindful of what they're doing that they realize that they're doing something spiritual and that they're doing a mitzvah and that they're doing they're connecting to Hashem. And that's part and parcel of the performance of the mitzvah. So that's why the Gemara is stressing, you have to regain your composure. You have to have control here, even though it's upsetting and even though it's unbelievably painful. That's true. But now it's time for a mitzvah. So now you have to be your suvedite. Now you have to regain your composure. And once you regain composure, so now you're open and uh, able to perform mitzvahs in the proper fashion. So, in Mitzvah next week we're going to continue from the next piece of Gemara. Um, and hopefully, we shouldn't know of any tsar, not tsar in mitzvahs, not tsar outside of mitzvahs, and we should only be on a So looking forward, guys.